thank you for joining us. This is the Auto Guide Show brought to you by eBay Motors. I am one of your hosts, Mike Schley. And I'm the other host, Kyle Patrick. So this week, we're going to start by covering some of the reviews and features we did over the past week, see what was in the news. Later, we're going to have a special guest from Hyundai USA talking about the new Santa Fe. We have a few reader questions and comments, and then we'll give you a little look of what's ahead. But first, let's get a word from our sponsor. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So we're going to start with our uh, recap of the last week with probably our biggest story, which was the comparison between the a new Subaru Impreza with the 2.5 engine and the Toyota Corolla hatchback. Kyle, you kind of had the lead on this. So if you want to just give us a little recap of what you thought. Well, uh, so I started the week in the Corolla and then switched over to the uh, Subaru later in the week. And the big shock here is that the Subaru feels like a half-size class up, right? Like the, the Corolla... <laughs> in hatchback form anyway, just feels tiny. It's more of a subcompact than a compact because that rear seat is just very tight. But uh, despite that, I, I think we talked about this a lot during the week, Mike, that the Corolla is still just charming. It's it's not the better deal, but I still like it anyway because it's just more fun to drive. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at them side by side. Uh, the Corolla is the better looking vehicle. I don't think the Impreza isn't good looking, but it's also not bad looking. It's just kind of uh, there. Uh, it is a little more tapered with the new generation, so it has a little more style. But the yeah, the Corolla reminds me a lot of the old subcompact hatches that were, you know, really good to just drive to work, do some weekend errands. They're somewhat entertaining and charming, but they weren't um, overly optioned or, or meant for everyday use. Whereas the Impreza, like you said, it's, it's always kind of been somewhere between a regular hatch and a wagon. It's always had a pretty big back end. And it's sort of a good solution for maybe a couple or a small family because you, you get the extra space, you have the all-wheel drive, but you're not going to get as good fuel economy and doesn't fit in all the spots the Corolla does. Um, the two-tone, I really like it. But yeah, I went in thinking, you know, the Impreza would be the better all around. And I think it was, but the Corolla really surprised me on how much fun it is. It's a shame there's no manual anymore for it because I think that would just top it off. Yeah, it just, uh, it really drove home the point that I really wish Toyota had some other trim that sat somewhere between this and the GR Corolla, like basically a Civic Si, uh, but that just doesn't exist now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was good. And talking about fuel economy, I know the real world figures were, there was a much bigger gap there than the published figures. So we were doing something like 40% more gas in the Impreza versus the Corolla. Uh, and that's uh, that's a big deal, right? If you're buying a $30,000 car, I imagine gas matters more than if you're buying, you know, a fifty dollars or $60,000 vehicle. Yeah, and um, to your to your point on the um, Corolla, like you're wishing there was something in between, that's the big thing with the Impreza that I like is there was such a gap between Impreza and then WRX. So it was like 152 horsepower and 271. And for years, I've been saying, like, they need something between. It doesn't have to be a sport model. And I know they're positioning the RS sort of as that, but it's 
it's not in between. It just has enough power for the car. Like it, it suits it better. It's not fast, but it's not slow. It just, it works well. But like you said, it needs a lot of gas. Mm -hmm. All right, so moving on. Uh, next, we had one of our freelancers, Lee Bailey, go down to Michigan and he got to see the new Equinox. He got a hands-on preview. So uh, no real big surprise here. It's still using a lot of the same mechanics as before, like the 1.5 turbo. Uh, inside, it does have a lot of the updates that a lot of the Chevys are getting. So it is um, it is nicer inside. Um, I would like to drive one because the, the old model, I remember we compared, and it wasn't terrible, but it just kind of felt like, not, I wouldn't say a rental car, but it felt like just the transportation someone gets because they need it, but they don't really care what they're, they're getting. This one, the style's a little more there. I mean, it has that same squinty headlight thing that everyone's doing. Um, and it's the inside looks nicer. So, yeah, I would say it felt like a rental car, <laughs> but I, I mean, and it's it's a little disappointing to me that they're sticking with just the one point five. But it it looks good. It looks like the Traverse just shrunken down. Uh, and GM has, I will say, they have a really good habit of putting a lot of tech and a lot of very user friendly tech into vehicles from pretty low trims onward. So I'm excited about this being a little more competitive in this segment, but I just wish there were a few more options to really compete against the, the segment leaders. Yeah, I remember driving it and then driving the um, terrain shortly after, which has the optional two liter and thinking, you know, the Equinox could use this for the higher trims, but you all have the terrain, which is positioned as a higher vehicle, and you have Chevy's own Blazer, which is slightly larger. So I get they don't want to maybe tread on other places, but yeah, I, I think it could use the upgrade. Mm -hmm. All right, so this uh, moving on, this is an article you wrote. So we have confirmation that Acura is going to make a smaller than RDX. The obvious answer would be the HRV platform, but maybe not with the HRV drivetrain. Yeah, hopefully not. And hopefully it does not look like my uh, five-minute Photoshop job there, uh, which is an MDX nose grafted onto an HRV. Um, yeah, we, hey, we agree, though, that it's... Someone, seems... someone said they liked it. So they said, hey, that actually looks like a good rendering. So maybe oh. you have a feature as a designer. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> well, I didn't even match the paint. Uh, I, yeah, HRV makes the most sense because it already exists. I really doubt they'd take one of the other small crossovers from other markets to do it. Um, my guess would be the Civics engine, the Turbo 1.5. That would be Yeah, that, that'd be my guess. Yeah, like with um, the question would be would they use the CVT still or would they get an actual transmission for it because it being premium? And, and I'd assume it would be at least the Sport, if not tuned to the SI, like around 200 horsepower. I think you kind of need that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure where they'd go on that because CBTs in luxury cars is is a dicey move. Uh, but, I mean, the 10-speed has gone from Honda's lineup now, uh, or yeah. in the cars. I guess it's still yeah. available in SUVs. Um, maybe maybe it would I just be a detuned RDX engine. Who knows? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think the there's any 1.5s that are paired to anything but a CVT. So you're right, maybe yeah. it's just a, a two liter with less power. Or Acura will just give us a manual. It'll be an Integra, but a crossover. Come on. <laughs> it's like an Integra SUV type S. Yeah, at least three people will buy that. And I wanted my favorite news of the week. So I got to uh, write up my favorite car, I think currently on sale. I know we talked last time when people said, what's the best car? This is the closest I can do 
answer to that, the CT5B Blackwing, because you get power, uh, noise, manual, yet luxury, space for a family. Like, it's, it's just, and it's still somewhat subtle. People see it, they're like, oh, like it looks purposeful, but it's not over the top. So the good news is for 25 with the CT5 refresh, it is coming back. And the better news is nothing mechanically is changing. So yeah. the CT5B still gets the Turbo 6, and the Blackwing still gets the supercharged V8, along with a choice of manual or automatic. Um, I, I like the, the refresh. It's it's minimal, but it, it makes it look a little more aggressive. Front mm -hmm. and rear, and then inside, the big changes, it's got that new super dash that every Cadillac's getting at 33 inches, which is really kind of two screens put together. But yeah, it's, it's a good update, and I'm happy that Cadillac A is still seeing a future for sedans and B still giving us these options. Cause you know, when this model gets overhauled to the next gen, this, these parts aren't probably still going to be there. I mean, the Camaro's dead. This engine's, this is the only place this engine is anymore because the Corvette doesn't use it anymore. So. And the uh, Escalade V, right? Yeah. Well, I think I'm yeah. just trying to rationalize places to put it. Like maybe we'll yeah. stuff it into, I don't know, XT4 yeah. V. Yeah, awesome. there's a there's a gorgeous new color for this one too. That uh that dark green. That looks oh yeah, yeah, three great. new colors. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and you were saying like the the take rate for the manuals is incredibly high already for the existing car. Yeah, the Blackwing. I mean, if you has the manual, it's over fifty percent, which is great. I mean, obviously they're selling a handful. It's a specialty car, but the people who are going for it are sort of people like me, but with money that are looking <laughs> for basically a Camaro ZL1. But in like an adult, you know, you're, I'm over 40 and I have a family package and it's perfect because that's exactly what it feels like. It sounds and feels like a Camaro or Corvette when you really hustle it, but then you put it all in comfort mode and your family can just cruise perfect comfort. Yeah, it's it's a, such a great car. And I mean, it's a lot of money, but for what you get, it's quite a bargain if you compare it to some of the, the German competitors that are making similar power, like, like yeah. an M5 or something like that. Yeah, an M5 is thousands more like this is slightly more than an m3 or m4 and you're getting all of this and with this update you're now getting a lot better tech because that was the old tech was fine in the old one but it didn't it, it was shared with an equinox right so this one feels a little more premium and justifies its price so yeah excellent news and making a completely uninformed comment uh with that engine transmission combo because it was shared with other American cars and they sold in better numbers. I mean, I would think if you need to do a fix down the road, it wouldn't be as hard as trying to find some part for like an M5 engine. Okay, slightly shifting gears, but I mean, we're still talking about what happened last week. We're going to cover the uh, top news stories. So the first one was um, something we received from our patent sleuth who's always finding these neat little stories that in Europe, Toyota has trademarked the GRGT name using this exact logo with no other details. So leads us to speculate what it could be. I mean, it could be anything as mundane as a tie-in with Gran Turismo and they already have GR cups there. So maybe they want to make an official branding for a cup down the road or something tied into a race series. Um, what else could it be? I mean, I don't want to say that's mundane. As, as <laughs> avid sim racers, we, we really look forward to that. Uh, but it could be... Um, excuse me, it could be Toyota reviving that super sports concept idea that they showed way back in 2018, which was supposed to be kind of a, a halo model flagship for GR. Uh, rumors were that that project was put on hold uh, a few years ago, but who knows? I mean, GR is doing really well 
I think with Supra and Corolla and 86, it's a strong brand with enthusiasts. So maybe they've rethought that and it's worth putting out some really high-end hypercar. Yeah, or even, I mean, it could even just be a concept man if you were getting a mm. car. Other things is that it could be tied into the GT, Super GT series, the GT500, GT300. It could be tied into uh, their hypercar that does the uh, WEC in Le Mans. I mean, I don't think they'd rename those, but could even be like maybe they're renaming the 86. There's going to hold a GRGT. Who knows? We have no yeah. idea, but hopefully we'll find out soon because it sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, and then another um, performance manufacturer, we have Porsche has given us more details on the Macan EV. Uh, yeah, I'm still torn. I, I need to drive it before I make a decision, I think, on this. Yeah, because I don't think you've driven a Taycan, have you? Uh, Taycan, no. no I okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really enjoy the Taycan in every form that I've driven it. And uh, I know this is a different platform, but... I trust Porsche to make an exciting EV because they've already done it. Uh, it looks a little strange to me, um, but I'm sure I'll warm up to it. I'm happy uh, they have colors similar to this. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be yeah. really powerful. So that's fun, I guess. Yeah, I'm surprised they're calling it Macan since it isn't really Macan. But I mean, Chevy's doing the same thing with all their EV versions of the regular cars. So I guess the name recognition is important. If you brought out a whole new name, People might not know, but you're trying to say this is our smaller SUV, but now with crazy amounts of electric torque. And it makes sense that back with the last facelift for Macan, they removed the turbo from the lineup and they were just waiting because now mm -hmm. a Macan turbo exists again. And I'm sure, just like the Taycan, it'll annoy people because, well, there aren't turbos in there. So. And it has the dust every Macan ever made before off the line down all the way probably past 100 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll stick with our theme of performance cars, fourth street story, but the Miata got a significant update and uh, it's pretty much all good news. I mean, the fact this car still exists is good news, but yes. they're giving you more performance bits for the performance models and the luxurious models are getting more luxurious bits. So it's kind of giving both buyer segment more of what they want. Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, it's like the Jeep Wrangler before the Bronco uh, launched where it has a market more or less to itself. I mean, we've done comparisons with it and the uh, Toyobaru twins, but those are still a different idea because this is a dedicated two-door drop top. I mean, you can get the RF, but really the drop top is, is pure Miata. And yeah, I mean, an updated screen is something that it needed and I have no qualms with that. Also, I just want to point out again that the Miata is now the most affordable convertible you can buy new on the market. Yeah, and the new differential sounds great. I mean, like I said, it's it's not the same as the BRZ and the GR. Um, those cars are bought by enthusiasts. And I mean, they're a blast to drive. I love them. But they can also be bought by someone who just wants sort of a small coupe and an mm -hmm. automatic and a base model. Whereas if you're getting a MX-5, you want a sports car because it's a very compromised vehicle. Like it's, a, it's your second car unless you're like maybe single or a couple that doesn't ever need to take anything anywhere. But like you're... Yeah, I, yeah. I can go to the grocery store and you can do errands with it, but you're always limited to okay. How much can I buy? What can I fit? So yeah. All right, and uh, Ford and Lincoln decided they are just going to crush everybody with dash size, uh, screen size. They are introducing a 40-inch digital dash. Now it's not quite what it sounds like. It's not like you're getting a 48-inch 
big screen TV shoved in your car. It's very narrow and rectangular, but it's basically the whole length of the dash from one end to the other is going to be a screen. Kind of like, um, remember the Integra way back, uh, early 90s had the, the lights across the whole dash? Yep, <laughs> like, yeah. You're in the car and you get lights all over there. I was, like that, about, I, guess. I was thinking about that or the uh, a few generations ago, the Civic, how it had the two-tier dashboard design. Uh, okay. It was it was sort of uh, previous or prior to head-up displays becoming popular. Yeah, off topic, but that got so much hate. I never got like it was almost like having head-up display, but not like oh, two screens. I can't see the difference. It's like no, yeah. the, the wheel splits them and different info. But yeah, it's it's like everyone wants Prius. like yeah, and everyone wants like eight screens and head-up display. It's like maybe it's just head of its time. But. No, and, and yeah, like the new Prius is great for that because it has one screen super super far off on the dashboard, and so you see it above the wheel. It's it's great. This this looks at least from this uh, this image, this looks good. It's it's. Splitting the difference between a head-up display and your regular display. All right, well, moving on, we're getting low on time. So just quickly, <laughs> um, the GTI, we talked about that previously. It's going to talk to you and have meaningful conversations. But Volkswagen officially put it out. Um, good news, it's, it still looks good. It always has. And it gets more power, which is it didn't need, but a welcome addition. But we've lost the manual. Does it actually have more power or are they just being more honest with how much power that thing had? Because when we drove the GTI the last time, it felt way quicker than its quoted figures. Yeah, I think a drive will, like a back-to-back -back drive, but to me, I mean, if you look at the numbers, it's kind of close to the Atlas, so I'm wondering if they just retuned the engine or, like you said, are giving the more real numbers, but I, I bet it's more powerful. Um, Possibly, we'll yeah. And our final story, uh, Jeep put on bigger tires than Wrangler because clearly that's what it needed. I, I know people go aftermarket all the time, so I guess they're trying to cash in some money, but they can now get 35-inch tires on the Wrangler. I mean, at this point, just put on portals and go full monster truck, you know? Like, just buy a version you can't drive on the street, but you can go, like, run over people in Moab or something. Yeah. You, you know who the people are going to buy the factory 35s? Very few will probably off-road because the – People who buy a new Wrangler to hardcore off-road, they're tearing it apart building, you know, a, a rock crawler. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I get why they're doing it. They'll, it's just going to print money, but it's, it's just kind of funny. Yep. All right. So we're going to now have uh, another word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we will have Mike Evanoff from Hyundai USA to talk about the new boxy Santa. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Do you remember your first car? I sure do. I was fresh out of university and I wanted nothing more than a car. So I went to some dealers with two things in mind. I wanted a Tudor Coupe and I wanted a manual transmission. After looking around, I finally ended up with a 2003 Oldsmobile Alero Coupe with a five-speed manual and a four-cylinder engine. A lot of people didn't understand why I bought that car, but I loved it. I would take it everywhere. I also wanted to modify it. I put a lot of parts on that didn't work. I put on some wheels and they ended up ripping apart my rear brakes and I had to get rid of them. My intake, my exhaust, my suspension, and some interior bits were all custom made. It would have helped so much if there was some sort of way that I could get guaranteed parts for my car back then. Another thing I loved to do with the car was I would take it drag racing. I would do low 15 seconds and thought I was so fast, which I wasn't. But you know what? I was having a blast and I was getting to run the car harder than I was allowed to on the street. I also went to a lot of charity car shows, road trips, and weeks up at the cottage. I had the car for almost two years until one day it was written off in a snowstorm in Detroit by a mail truck. It was a sad day and I really missed that car. 
One day, maybe I'll get another Alero, but for now, I'll just have good memories of this car and how much fun I had with it. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, now we're going to welcome our special guest. Normally, it would be Kyle and I doing this, but Kyle's off on assignment right now, so it'll just be me. Joining us today is Mike Evanoff. He's the product planning uh, Hyundai Motor North America. Hey, good morning. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining. Yep. So we're going to talk, obviously, about the Santa Fe, because that's sort of the big buzz right now. So um, just a couple questions on it, and hopefully you can give us some insight. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one, obviously, is it's very different looking than the previous models. Um, mm -hmm. It's got a very square shape, which seems to be quite uh, a trend right now. Was that always the plan with the new model, or is that more of something you decided later on? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, the designers, when they first started working on this generation uh, of Santa Fe, you know, they were, they were thinking to maximize uh, cargo space, interior, you know, capabilities. Um, you know, the, the vehicle was really, from the onset, designed from the inside out. And so to, in order to maximize, you know, cargo capacity and everything else, I mean, you just push those, cor those corners to the outer edges um, and that kind of drives that overall upright boxy shape. But, you know, it also, more, you know, defines it uh, as an SUV, you know, SUV popularity is, you know, has been growing over the past 10 years, um, even more so. And, you know, we felt, you know, a lot of this, uh, some of the, you know, the, the SUVs, we wanted to, to stand out and be unique. And I think by this bold, um, you know, all the surfacing details and how the, you know, the bold front uh, and side profile uh, really will help Santa Fe um, stand out from the crowd, uh, you know, when it hits dealers uh, very soon. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of sort of the form over function. I've always mm -hmm. been an advocate of larger greenhouses and the square, because like you said, you can fit better objects and mm -hmm. see out better. Visibility, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the rear end, I really like um, that rear end. Like it's going to stand out. Nothing mm -hmm. looks like that for sure. Yeah. Uh, which kind of leads to the next question. Do you have any insight if current Santa Fe owners are going to adopt the new look or like it? Yeah, obviously, you know, we did we did a lot of research as we do with all our vehicles. Um, in our research for this generation of Santa Fe, um, you know, we invited uh, intenders for the segment and, you know, owners of the, not only the current Santa Fe, um, but, you know, other uh, SUVs, you know, in the in the uh, in the competitive set and in, in the field. And, you know, the, the Santa Fe, it, it scored very well overall, but I will say that uh, specifically, the, the current Santa Fe owners uh, actually scored it a little bit higher than than the global than you know the whole uh, all the respondents. So you know you, you you could be a little nervous and thinking, wow, it's a big departure from what you're used to. Um, but based on our data and what we saw, um, there you know the current Santa Fe owners are very open to it um, and welcome welcome the changes and the updates. Yeah, that's great. Okay, yeah. I think um, even with current owners that don't know about it, it's going to be a little sort of discovery when it first gets on the road as to what is that? I mean, yeah. I remember getting that with the previous Santa Fe when it first came out. Uh, yeah. Friends that aren't into the auto industry would be like, what's that? That's what the Santa Fe looks like now. So yeah. I get it. Um, yeah, so your strategy with the engines uh, is mm -hmm. different than in Canada. So obviously there's a reason for each region doing it. So why do you mm -hmm. have the turbo as the entry and then the hybrid is the higher end? 
Well, the, the, the turbo as the entry is, you know, the, the last generation or the prior generation Santa Fe, um, you know, had a total of four actual powertrains. But we started with the normally aspirated 2.5, and then the upgrade to that was the 2.5 turbo. Now, given that Santa Fe is now standard three row, it has grown in size. It's about two inches longer in overall length, two inches in, in wheelbase, uh, even height. Overall height is up about two and a half inches. So with the larger, you know, with the larger, um, you know, footprint, you know, to not only house and make a comfortable third row, um, you know, with all of that comes mass. And there's also, you know, you know, additional safety regulations you have to comply with. So all that, you know, kind of does factor into to the overall mass of the vehicle. So we felt from a from a customer uh, expectation standpoint, the 2.5 turbo, you know, made the most sense for, um, you know, the entry engine or the standard engine, you know, 277 horsepower, over 300 pound feet of torque, you know, motivates the car, you know, the vehicle very well. And then for those who wanted, you know, the more efficient option for, or the hybrid, um, you know, we make that available. The, the, not as many trims. The, the gas model is available in five trims. The hybrid is available in three trims. But the content for those trims, SEL, limited calligraphy, pretty much mirror each other one to one. It's, a, it's a just basically just a powertrain option. Um, the horsepower is still very high. The combined horsepower for the 1.6 um, turbo hybrid is like 230, 231 horsepower, uh, 270 pound feet of torque. So you know, it motivates the vehicle very well, but, you know, it was also more fuel efficient than the full gas. So we wanted to kind of keep, keep the core with the, with the gasoline engine, offer the hybrid. And as, this, and it, as you know, you see, you know, down the line, you know, that ratio of the hybrid to gas will probably get closer to 50-50 and, you know, who knows where it goes from there. But, um, you know, you'll see, I think you'll see a transition in, in all vehicles, quite frankly, um, you know, where the hybrid becoming more and more, uh, more and more of a factor in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, they're getting more powerful, more seamless. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot different than they were even five, 10 years ago. I've noticed that with a, a lot of recent products I've driven. Yeah. Um, you brought up the longer wheelbase in the third row. So that mm -hmm. kind of leads to another question I have is, are you, the Palisade's been very successful for you. So mm -hmm. was that the reason to put a third row in this vehicle? And are you worried about any sort of shopping between the two yeah i mean we're trying to keep the two um definitely you know separate i mean they, they will sit near each other on the showroom floor so obviously there will be some natural um, interaction between the two but you know the decision to make um, the third row standard um, was more for just you know for the for the segment and for you know for customer appeal i've been i've been living with the new santa fe now for a week or so and you know having that third row is, is great flexibility but you can store it flat and, you know, the, the cargo capacity behind the second row is totally unaffected. So you've got a really usable um, third row when, you know, needed or you got more cargo, you know, if necessary by, by, by storing the seats. So I think it's the best of both worlds. We get, you know, and it open, opens it up to a wider um, audience for consideration um, just by the fact that you have that third row. And, you know, we make it standard also, you know, to kind of reduce the complexity in the lineup so you don't have some vehicles here with, with and without, you know, second, third row, and it always gives somebody, you know, looking for, they know exactly what they can, what they can find and what they expect to find at the dealership lot. So we really try and streamline that. Uh, to make it as easy as possible. So I think it's really independent uh, of Palisade. Palisade has been fantastic, wonderfully successful. Um, but we just kind of want to build on that with this generation, um, you know, and still um, attract, you know, cast an even wider net um, for uh, consumers in the marketplace. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's good to know. I um, I sat in it at the LA Auto Show um, mm-hmm. when it was unveiled, and the third row is surprisingly big for the size of the vehicle because a lot in that class is sort of feels like the third row is an afterthought. You know, maybe you'll throw some younger children back there if you need to, but yeah. I mean, it's it's not somewhere you're going to put adults long term, but it can fit them. Whereas even some of the larger ones, you can't. So that's yeah, and I guess that's because of the square shape. Yeah, because exactly because of the because of that shape, and then you know we don't make it a, a penalty box back there. Um, you know there are you know um, available controls for the HVAC you know at the at, on the third row, um, so you can adjust your fan speed independently back there. Um, you've also got USB C inputs you know on both sides on the third row. So we just you know not only is it a third row, but it's you know a, a usable from a space standpoint, but also from a, a like a, a feature comfort standpoint. Um, it's not just you know forgotten about. We actually spent a lot, like I said, it was designed from the inside out and from the back forward kind of mentality. Um, so that really kind of follows right in line with that uh, with that strategy and that thinking in the development of Santa Fe. So right from the start, since you're talking about sort of the, the initial idea, was there always going to be the rugged trim, like the uh, XRT uh, with the vehicle? And is it going to expand more? Like, do you think you'll go further with it or the aftermarket will go further with it? Yeah, I mean, we've shown some concepts. We, we sh- you were at LA as I was as well. We yeah, showed yeah. Uh, we showed an XRT concept at that uh, event. We've shown another XRT concept before. Um, yeah, I mean, XRT launched a couple of years ago for us on the SUV line, and we've been kind of slowly uh, progressing with XRT. I'm happy to say that this 24 model year Santa Fe XRT. Um, is the first uh, XRT in the lineup to actually get some more functional upgrades, which I think are really important, um, especially if you're, you know, you're you're targeting more of that off-road um, um, competitive set or you know that that buyer, um, you know, like all-terrain tires, huge difference that can be made. So we've got 30-inch all-terrain tires uh, on the XRT. Also, ride height, um, you know, it's got increased ground clearance over the base model, so you just got a little about one to 1.3 inches of, of more ground clearance so that also helps you know with uh, any off-road or weekend adventures um, and then even towing capacity the, the 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 standard the standard towing capacity for the 2.5 turbo is 3500 pounds but uh, when uh, when you when equipped on the XRT there's additional cooling and other uh, accommodations even the front fascia is a little bit different to allow for more cooling so you get about a thousand pounds more so up to 4500 pounds um, on the XRT so we definitely wanted to to put some teeth uh, you know into the XRT package and I definitely hope you know, you know moving forward can't talk directly about you know future plans but I definitely like like to see it in that direction you know as we've done from one generation to the next there's always room for for even more down the road yeah i think some people get confused a bit when they see things like that they like they think it's going to go do hardcore off-roading and like that sounds mm-hmm. purpose it's not going to go rock calling with wranglers but overlanding mm-hmm. so big i think the three main things that i'm seeing sort of in the industry and you covered them all is the yeah. all-terrain tires a little more ground clearance and be able to tow like an off-road travel trailer that's mm-hmm. what people are looking for so yeah i think you've you got a good start there and i like that handle to the, the, yeah, on, on, yeah, the hidden seat pillar because you know aerodynamics are really important uh, on the vehicle. It's 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 I think it's fantastic. I mean, they achieved a, a drag coefficient of zero point two nine, which is you know actually very very aerodynamic. And you look at the profile, and it is more upright and a little bit more boxy. Um, it's actually very close in aerodynamic efficiency to our Ionic Five, you know, our electric vehicle, um, which is a zero point two eight. 
So it's actually, and it's about 11% decrease from what, from the prior generation. So I think, you know, they did a lot of time and effort. Um, they've learned a lot uh, you know, working on the, the EVs on the Ionic lineup. Um, and that translates directly over in, into the gas models. But, you know, really excited about the XRT, you know, especially I had the opportunity to take it um, to Joshua Tree the other weekend and was doing this 18 mile off-road loop. Never, never made contact once, you know, was very comfortable with it. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's not, it's not intended to be a rock crawler, um, but for, I think, majority of what off-roading people will do, it, it's really well suited to the job. That sounds great. Um, well, I wish you luck with it, and I can't wait to, to test one out down the road. Uh, I thank you for joining us. It's yep, given us a lot you. of good insight. Um, and, yeah, we hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. Thanks. All right. Well, that was great. Uh, gave us a lot of good insight and maybe a few tidbits you didn't know before. Definitely tidbits I didn't know. So that's nice. Um, we're going to move on to questions. And hey, we actually have some comments and questions from uh, viewers and listeners. And then we're going to briefly discuss another topic that I want to bring up. So first, I want to thank um, Ethan Barella, I think it is. He was the first person to compliment us on the podcast. So thank you very much. And then we had a, another commenter, Lana36S. Uh, was talking about the ZDX, which we had on last week, um, that they're excited that Active finally has one, but they're kind of pondering how long will it last being a GM shared component before Honda makes their own component to make their vehicles on. And they think like maybe three years. I think it would run a full life cycle, probably five years, including a refresh, maybe even six. But I agree, I'll probably leave that partnership and go to a different platform, but I don't think the name will die. I think Acura plans to keep this name around. I mean, it will be a completely different vehicle, maybe next gen, but I think it'll stay around. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. I mean, if they've put all this money into this partnership with GM, I know they have their own platform in the works, but you might as well get an entire generation out of it. Yeah. Like um, it's your stock gap. And I think from both sides, because GM will update it for themselves down the road and Honda will go to their own and other manufacturers have claimed that like, why Subaru's been using um, Toyota Hybrid. They've always said they're going to do their own down the road. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I think the name will stick around, but maybe not the model as we know it after, let's say, five years. Yeah. So moving on to a quick question that I had. I was updating one of our top 10 lists for, uh, that I wrote uh, eight years ago, and it was the top 10 cars that we wish manufacturers would bring back, and not that they would seem to be. Um, of the 10 I put down, three have come back since that. I had Integra, I had Supra, and I had a proper compact pickup. So we've got the Supra and the Integra back, and we have the Maverick and, to a degree, the Santa Cruz. So, hey, uh, there we go. So anyway, what I wanted to ask is, I updated this with more. Kyle, on the spot, give me your two, two vehicle, either actual models or class that you want to see. Ooh. I mean, I want to see subcompact cars come back because they've all pretty much died in the last few years. Uh, but Toyota, Toyota, you've been on a run. You've done a lot of really great stuff for enthusiasts. Give us an MR2. I know you teased one in Tokyo last year. So uh, yeah, that's what I want. I want a new MR2. It's fine. Both of those are on the list. Uh, proper subcompacts like Fiesta and Mazda, or Mazda 2. Like, they're all gone. And they weren't like sports cars, but they were fun and they were practical and they were good on gas. And to the MR2, like, they already have it. You have the GR Corolla and Yaris with that turbo three cylinder that's already, you know, 
pointing the right way, driving the wheels, just take that whole front end, put it in the back, and you know, make a little coupe body and some front wheels. Yeah. Like that, that would be a fantastic combo the way that engine rips. So I yeah. Like um that. yeah, for me, I mean MR2 is an obvious choice. Um I can't even remember what I put down there, but the one that still sticks out because it was teased so many years ago and they didn't go through it was uh, Buick. They need a Halo Coupe, or now I guess with the SUV, maybe even a performance SUV. But when they teased the, um, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a Wildcat. Maybe it was called a Wildcat. It was, and it was yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, and it looked like this could be a perfect Grand National, you know, sell it in small batch number, and they didn't go through with it. I, yeah, I just think they could do a lot for the brand internationally because i know it's not just us but there's other places that you had you know maybe make like a take a ct5 uh v and you only do the black window that'd be cool but you know strip it out of some content and make it more affordable and maybe pump up the boost a bit and 400 horsepower do something yeah it'll never happen right. so we wish yeah no yeah exactly. <laughs> well hey three of my uh wishes made so it's yeah all right so um to finish this up we're just gonna kind of cover what's next for us. So Kyle, you are off on a trip this week. So uh, next week, that'll be covered in detail. So that's that's great. Yeah. I have spent the week driving a Mercedes GLS, which is interesting because it's, you know, this giant luxury SUV. But in the last month, I've also driven the BMW X7 and the Grand Wagoneer Series 3. So I oddly have a lot of direct comparison to make, and I'll get into it in depth with my review. But it's interesting because all three are very different as much mm -hmm. as you think they're the same. So yeah, this one's sort of the middle ground between the other two. And yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I can't complain of driving something that has massage, heated, ventilated seats in the second row. It's got heated seats in the third row, power everything. It's ridiculous. I mean, I get why people buy it, but I also get why you don't need it. Yeah, yeah. On the subject of not necessarily needing, but wanting, uh, I'm spending time with the Jaguar F-Type, the R75? 75R. It's uh, the final model year. It's the top performance model. It's the convertible. Um, and yeah, we've we've driven the convertible two years ago in a comparison, and it was the lower power one. And I think having the car solo allows me to appreciate a lot of its charm. Um, I haven't spent a whole lot of time with it because you said I was on a trip, but I'm I'm so far I'm liking it. I think it's it'll be sad to see it go. And on a subject maybe down the road i really wonder what the point of jaguar is after this car is gone because i i struggle <laughs> yeah because this i mean right now it's just f pace i pace right so oh i think the xf still kicking around in that one trim and, and um, i think maybe the e pace is around i don't know i see one maybe every oh, yeah. month or so it's too bad you already tripped though because our first proper snowfall happened on the day you're gone so you didn't get to go you know test it out in the snow, which would be a lot of fun with four winter tires and all-wheel drive. But. Yeah. All right, so next week we have something fun. Um, we have a big, not a big, but we have a, I think a uh, important comparison where we have Lexus's new TX going head-to-head -head against Infiniti's QX60 and Acura's MDX. So this is sort of the three, three-row premium uh, family colors. I mean, I don't want to disparage them and call them like luxury minivans but these are sort of for more people who are looking for something that luxurious can take the family but should also be pretty easy to live with and, and um, mechanically and everything like you're not getting as sophisticated as some of these really high-end vehicles so yeah i'm interested to see how the three will stack up um we'll be doing that later next week you're on another trip 
So I am. Yes, I'll be driving a, a very different vehicle from all those. I will be driving the refreshed uh, Genesis G70. I'm kind of jealous of that, but <laughs> I mean, I got enough to do. And we have a couple um, debuts we can't talk about coming up next week. So yeah, pay attention and we'll be covering it all in next week's episode of uh, the Auto Guide Show brought to you by eBay Motors. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. See you, everyone. Thank you once again for listening and watching The Auto Guide Show, brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.